0: Wouldn't it be cool if all we had to do in our everyday normal life was simply believe things? And by believing things, they made a difference. Like, they would make our life so much easier. Like, let me give you an example. Wouldn't it be great if I just believed in health and nutrition, and because I believed in it, I would just be healthy, and I wouldn't have to eat nutritiously. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing in the world for some of us? Like, here's a picture of heaven for me. I can eat three tubs of peanut butter chip ice cream a day and not gain any weight. That is an awesome dream, and I'm not sure that's gonna happen, but that would be an incredible thing. But in our regular day life, wouldn't that be great if we just could believe and it would happen? Wouldn't it be easier if we could like just believe that habits and addictions are bad, and then we didn't have to do anything. They would just all go away Because we believe that addictions are bad. Or maybe like your finances. If you just said, I believe, I believe you should spend less than you make and save more than you spend, that we would just, it would just happen. We'd have all the money we had to need without having to do anything as far as being conservative with our money. Or maybe for education. Like, I believe education is important, and preparation for the next stage of life is important, but we didn't actually have to prepare. We just had all the education requirements we needed by just saying, I believe. Wouldn't that be a life that would be easier, it would be simpler, and would just be such smooth sailing? And here's the interesting thing for most of us when it comes to all those things. Health and nutrition, financial responsibility, education, all those things, most of us... We know what that looks like to do those things the right way in some form. We know, we understand a little bit how to get those things figured out. Now, you need to know this. When it comes to our faith and simply just knowing things, Jesus did not come to the planet just to invite us to know things. He came to this planet and invited us to do things in the most extraordinary way because Jesus knew that doing would make all the difference in our life here on earth. And if you have to leave early or you check out on me or whatever, I just wanted to give you the bottom line for where we're going today in this message. And that's simply this, that when we believe but, do, but don't but do do, our dreams don't come true. I wish I would have heard this when my kids were five, six, seven years old, because I would have just taught this in a little saying. Let me read it to you again. When we believe but don't do, our dreams just simply don't come true. And you all know that. You all know that this happens in our lives because we've all seen it in our own personal lives. Um, Most of us don't fail because of a lack of knowing. Most of us don't even fail because of a lack of believing. Most of us fail in the areas that are most important to us because of a lack of doing. And the worst part of this, the worst part of this is when it comes to our faith, when we believe in something and we don't do, our faith gets really fragile. And our faith never grows up, and it's very, very weak. And we're in part two of this series called Faithful, Fueling Your Faith in a World on Empty, because that's kind of what our world feels a little bit like now, like it's a little empty, so how do we have faith in the middle of this? And last week, we talked about this idea that Jesus showed up on the planet, and he invited us to have big, audacious, gritty, get or done kind of faith. That we could wake up every day and live in confidence in the reality of our lives. Not just in church, not just when we feel spiritual or emotional, but every day that we could have confidence in a big God who loves us. And we talked about the sin that amazed Jesus. And that was this one Roman centurion's faith in him, that he was all in when it came to Jesus. And when this centurion did this, Jesus invited this centurion, this Roman, that should not have been invited to be part of his crew. He said, follow me. Follow me, follow me as we find real, active, bold faith. And when it came to follow me, Jesus never backed down from inviting people to do this. To the very end, to the very end, even though his followers didn't make it to the end when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus was still inviting people to follow me. Literally, Jesus is dying on the cross, there's a man next to him dying on the cross, and Jesus says, follow me. And the guy did. Now, here's what's so interesting. When we take this idea of follow me as a church, as church people, as a pastor, and I've certainly been guilty of this, this incredible invitation to follow me, we have dumbed this down in the church to just simply believe in me. Like Jesus would invite people to follow him and go where Jesus went and act like Jesus and live like Jesus. And what we've done is we've just said, hey, here's what you need to do. And I have done this too much in my life as a pastor. Hey, just believe. Just believe. And you need to know this. And maybe this is shocking and you feel a little uncomfortable, so let me explain this. We, we say believe because it's just easier, right? And it's less demanding. And if all I do is just believe, and I hope you believe, but if all I do is just believe, I can believe without any real life change in my life at all. Now, you need to know this, that Jesus, he came to this world to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and invite us to eternal life with him. It's such a big deal by faith alone. But the other reason he came and he wanted us to know what God was like And the God's heavenly father kind of love that we could have in our lives. And last week, we said this in the whole follow me direction. That God is most honored by our living, active, death-defying, in spite of trust in him then I, God, I'm following you in spite of, I'm looking around and my kids aren't doing what I wish they would be doing and our economy's doing whatever it's doing and the whole thing's happening in Russia and Ukraine and Lord, I'm a little nervous and I'm a little shaky, but in spite of that, I am gonna trust you. Think about it as a parent, we said this last week, as a dad, as a mom, but for me as a dad, one of the most honoring things would be if, if, if my kids have a trust relationship with me and for some reason I don't show up. I'm not on time. I'm not there where I'm supposed to be. And my kid's most natural reaction is, listen, I don't know why dad's not here, but he'll be here. Well, how do you know? Because he's my dad and I can trust him. That is what Jesus invited us to, that anytime there's a gap between what we experience from God and what we expect from God, we fill that gap up with, all right, God, I'm trusting you that you're doing what you should be doing, even though I can't see him. I know my heavenly father and I trust him. That's where God is most honored. And so last week we asked this question that I think we should ask the rest of our lives when it comes to our faith. And it would drive us, I think, to make better decisions and live a God-honoring life along the way. And that was simply this. What would I do if I was confident God was with me? Every Every day I woke up, what would I do if I was just confident God was with me? Not just believing, it's good that I believe. But I can believe and I have confidence in God. If I had confidence in God in everything I'm doing, the way I act, my moral decisions, that weird hard thing when you know you need to forgive somebody and you don't wanna forgive them and you don't wanna let go, but God has called us to do that, what would I do if I was confident God was right about that? And I would step into that confidence. And God, through Jesus, wanted us to see this clearly. And so we're asking the question in this series: what fuels or facilitates the development of enduring faith? The kind of faith that lasts from, hey, I'm eight years old or I'm 12 years old, or I've gone to camp, but now I'm in my 20s or 30s or my, my 80s, and I have confidence in God. What fuels that? What makes that strong? Like when worry comes along, and I know there's worry everywhere. I mean, you're worried, you can't sleep, you're pacing too much, you got ulcers, whatever. What fuels the fact that I I can let my worry slip away a little bit and turn to my heavenly father? And fear, I'm so scared of what's going to happen. Okay, God, I'm confident you still got the whole world in your hands from childhood into adulthood. What's a part of that? In other words, we'd ask, what are the essential Ingredients in that. Now, here's what's interesting. When you read the teachings of Jesus, which we're going to do today, and I hope it's super helpful, and you hear the conversations of mature faith people, you know some mature faith people, the people you talk to, and you're like, boy, you have deep faith. I mean, it's like you trust God when you can see it and when you can't. You're mature in your faith. We hear Certain things come up over and over and over again, and we're going to talk about the five things that when you put these five ingredients together and you stir them up, they seem to be part of a big faith story. Now, over the next five weeks, as we talk about these five things, you need to know that these five things are not a to-do list. So I'm not giving anybody a to-do list specifically today. In fact, there's a couple of these five things that you can't have any control over. You're, you're just part of the story when they happen. But I'm telling you, when we hear people's faith story, these five things pop up over and over and over again. And they're the things that God uses to grow up and blow up our faith. If you've been around our church for a while, you might have heard us talk about them as the five faith ca- catalysts. The five faith catalysts that God uses in every season of life, which is really important because faith looks different for an eight-year-old than it does for a teenager. It looks different for a teenager than a young married couple. Then they have kids it looks different, and then empty nesters, and then you're heading towards the end of your life. Faith has a different look all along the way, but these five things, they show up along the way all day. The time And so the first catalyst I want to talk about today, we'll cover the next four of the next four weeks. The first one today is a simple idea of practical teaching. And some of you, when you tell your story, when you get baptized and tell your story, this is one of the things that you mention. For, for, For you, it might be, listen, I grew up in church. I grew up kind of believing in God. I had some knowledge of it and I showed up. Maybe for you, I showed up every Sunday and I tried, but it was just a thing I did on Sunday. And then somewhere along the way, Whether I heard a speaker at a conference, maybe it was somebody I heard on the internet, maybe it was right here, you heard the scriptures and the story of Jesus explained in a way that made sense to you and something happened. We hear this all the time around here. Something happened and you went, aha, that's what they're talking about. That's what this means. Somehow the story of Jesus and the story of God all of a sudden made sense. It's like it had handles for you and you got a handle on it you start not only to believe but you start to lean into what you believed and the reason why we, our faith grows with you know practical teaching and then big word here application to it is simply this that when our active faith like we live in it out faith intersects with God's faithfulness our faith Grows. Some of you have experienced this. You feel that nudge from God, and it doesn't have to be in here, but you feel a nudge from God. Like you need to go to her and make things right. You need to go to him and say you're sorry, and then you wrestle with it, right? Yes, no, maybe I will. And then you actually go and do it. And you're shivering, you're scared, you get the sweaty palms, you're like, okay, I need you to forgive me. I did something wrong. And you went out on a limb, and you did what Jesus called you to do. And somehow it felt like God met you there. And sometimes you don't even realize God met you in the moment. You look back and you can see God met me in my obedience. And when I did that, it was like my faith grew. It was like, like, you know, the hard conversation that I was so afraid to have in the middle that my faith grew. Because you saw God's faithfulness as difficult as it was. You see, faith is like a muscle. We talk about this a lot. And faith is like a muscle that when you exercise it, when you get in the weight room, the fitness center, and you exercise it, your faith grows. But when you don't, it atrophies, it becomes weak, it almost disappears. And what happens with us is when we hear teaching that we understand, that's practical, and then live it out and do it, it's, it's literally like God's spirit joins us in the middle of our obedience it's an amazing thing and you know this this is where trust comes along because when I decide I'm going to step out and do what Jesus has asked me to do I got to trust that he knows better than I do and here's a powerful thing of this that trust is the currency of all relationships it really is it's not fear it's not obedience those are good things no fear is not a good thing but it can be a good thing to be obedient But trust is the core of all great relationships, because when someone trusts you, they want to be with you. And here's something that's a little weird for a pastor to say, and it makes me even feel a little uncomfortable to say this out loud, but it's so true, I have to say it. It can be a little hard to have a relationship with an invisible God. It just can a God you can't wrap your arms around, a God you can't necessarily see every day. That's one of the reasons Jesus came to the plant, to show, it was God, show us what God was really like. And wouldn't it have been amazing in those three or four years that people are around Jesus to grab Jesus and just give him a big old hug? But even Jesus left the planet. And so we are called to have a relationship with an invisible God. And it's hard to hang on to this. But this is why when we hear and do and then we see God's faithfulness, it puts some handles on God for us to hang on to. Here's the challenge. If we never step out and do what God's called us to do, we miss out on it. And here's what we also do. We rob God of demonstrating this in our lives. I think God's desperate to show up and say, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. But if you don't follow, we rob him of that opportunity. And this is why Jesus would push his disciples their entire time with him to follow, to experience, to step out of the boat, to do things that were uncomfortable, to love people that were hard to love and forgive and be generous and act on it. And one of the places Jesus teaches on this is this really famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. You may have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. He he sits down on the side of a mountain and starts teaching. And he teaches about his kingdom. In fact, he teaches um, on the upside down kingdom. And it's so challenging. I actually think this was probably Jesus' go-to sermon. So we only have one or two accounts of it. But his followers, I think, may have heard it all the time. Now, here's the challenge for it when you read this. Because I hope you read the Sermon on the Mount. It is so challenging... It is so simple and it's so clear. You just can't loophole your way around it. You just can't do the spiritual dance around it or the religious dance around it. You have to look it in the eye and do something with it. And the upside down kingdom that Jesus brought to our world revolves around when you have power, when you have a little more authority, when you have a little bit more money, you don't leverage it for yourself. You figure out how you can help people less than you. It's how you give. It's how you forgive. It's how you choose to trust God in a way you don't worry. How about this? Jesus taught on, this is how you pray for your enemies. Can you imagine in a world where if we just all prayed for our enemies, how different our world might look? And then Jesus taught on that amazing, pull the plank out of your eye before you pull the speck out of someone else's eye. In other words, before I tell you what you need to fix and correct and get right, I need to pull the big old plank out of my own eye because I got a lot of flaws. But as I'm working on getting that plank out, if I see you need to help, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna help you in the things that you're struggling with. But first, I'm dealing with my mess Jesus even talked about this idea that the way you honor God most is not to go to a worship service and make sacrifices. In fact, he said, if you're in line to make a sacrifice and you realize your brother has something against you, go make it right with your brother before you worship. It's I mean, just upside down thinking. And it was all about taking what Jesus said and doing something with it. Now, here's the problem. We all came along, and I mean we like, pastors and church leaders and people like me, we came along and we made it all about just believing. Just believe, just believe. Are you going to believe? Raise your hand if you want to believe. And it's important to believe. I'm not downplaying that. But we made it about just believing. And Jesus, he brought this idea of his kingdom that was so practical you could not avoid it. And this is what Jesus said. If you lean into doing what I've told you to do, there is a reward and it's going to be terrifying. And it's going to scare you to death. But there's a reward because your heavenly father is going to say, you trusted me in this and I am with you along the way. And in this doing a practical teaching, there's a promise and there's a reward. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ties this whole thing together by saying this. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words, like these things I just said, these words of mine Now just pause right there. In the modern church, our tendency would be that I've heard it, and I listened to the sermon. Okay, Jesus, now I believe. Raise my hand. I believe. Amen. Or I'm going to remember that point because points are really good. Or I took extensive notes. I wrote it down so I won't forget. That's what we do with this. And Jesus would go, that's fine. It's good. But no, that's not the point. How about agree? How about, how about let it really convict me? I'm just going to let it really convict me and make me feel bad. And Jesus said, sometimes you need to feel bad and be convicted. That's not the point. Hey, side note, just so you know, there's a whole weird spirituality in the modern Christian church that we think that if we feel bad in church, we're closer to God. And there's a place to feel bad or convicted or, or guilty. There is. There's a place for that. But it does not alone make you closer to God. And sometimes in church, we sit down and we're, all right, Matt, make me feel bad. I feel really bad. I'm not going to do anything with it, but I'm going to come back next week so I feel bad again, so I feel closer to God. My friends, just know this. Feeling bad is not the point of anything. Sometimes you got to deal with that, but that is not the point. Or if you're like me, I hear something and I nod in my head and I moo a little bit or I hum a little bit or I go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. And then we sing a song at the end and I feel all the emotion because I'm a super emotional person. And as we're singing that song, I raise my hands and I shake my fist. I'm like, God, I'm with you. And that's good. I hope you have those moments. But Jesus would say, that's not the point. This is the point. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into, let's say this word together, and puts them into, wait, that's not the same as believing. That's not the same as taking notes or raising my hand or feeling guilty. It's acting on it. And Jesus is saying practice is every." He puts them into practice, goes on, like a wise man. Now, we talked a lot about this in our last series, Better Decisions. And a wise man is just somebody that realizes what I do today is connected to what happens tomorrow and a year from now and a year from then. That a wise man realizes that the dots are all connected. My behavior today shapes my future tomorrow. Not just believing. A wise man who built his house upon the rock. This is talking about the future of our lives. Building your life, building your house on a future. Now, here's what's challenging for us about this whole rock concept. Um, most of us aren't worried about building our homes on rocks around here because of you know footers and foundations and concrete. You can build a house most places, and you're pretty good and you're pretty stable. But two thousand years ago, where Jesus was, people that could do it, built their house upon rocks because it was so solid and strong. Here's the problem in Jesus' day with building a house upon a rock. It took forever, it was really expensive, and it cost a lot of money and time. And so you'd be trying to scratch this rock to make it level in certain places so you could put your, your materials on it, it would be somewhat even, but it took forever. And Jesus would say, yeah, what I'm asking you to do is gonna take longer and it's gonna cost you something. And it's going to be kind of expensive. And your friends may say, that makes no sense for how long it takes. You can throw your house up over here you know, in no time. And it's cheaper and it's easier and it's a shortcut. That's fine. And Jesus would say, no, building your house upon this harder way is tougher. But it's rewarding. Which, which really brought um, an unspoken question in the middle of this. As he was doing this teaching. And the unspoken question was, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Are you willing to live this out before you see the results? Are you willing to say yes to your Heavenly Father before you see the benefits of saying yes to your Heavenly Father? Will you follow me before you know what I'm leading you to when you don't know the outcome? And our question maybe for us today is, okay, do I trust you? And for some of you, you're just not ready to trust Jesus yet. That's okay. I'm, just, I'm glad you're here. But for some of you, this is the question. It's time. It's time to answer, okay, I need to figure out how to trust you. Not believe in you, but do I trust you? Where my obedience, where my trust is a better word, intersects with God's faithfulness. That my faith becomes real. You build your house upon this rock, which is harder, it's more expensive, and it doesn't always make sense. But the rains come down, and the streams rise and this happens in life. You all know this. And the winds blew and it beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And here's what's interesting. In this part of the world, it would be extreme droughts and then extreme floods. And these extreme floods would wipe out you know, entire villages that weren't built the right way on the right places. And they all went, oh yeah, we've seen this somebody threw together a house really fast in the wrong place and that house is not there anymore and you might tell the story of your faith i, I threw my faith up and i believed and i didn't follow through and i drifted away and it just kind of got washed away and i'm back i'm trying to figure it out just so you know i'm i'm just glad you're back and jesus goes on but but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. He heard, he heard the words among and nodded. Amen, shake your head. I tuned in, I took notes. I came back and I listened. I felt all those things. But because I didn't put them into practice when the rains came and the storms came, it just washed it all away. And Jesus never meant to be that this is just about attending and hearing it was about doing something with it. and here's what's interesting is our belief sometimes can even undermine our faith and set us up for a faith crisis in other words believing can be deceiving and this is where if you're not a christian or you were a christian and you watched us as christians and you walked away, we owe you an apology. If you gave up on us, we owe you an apology. Because some of you may have said, listen, I observed you, Jesus followers, you Christians, and I wondered, I wondered if you believed what you said you believed, the way you acted, the way you treated people, the way you lived your life. I'm not convinced Because I don't think you're convinced of what you believe. My son asked me about this whole sharing the gospel and how important it is. He asked me, he said, Dad, if we really believed what we believed, do you think we'd lean harder into making sure people knew about Jesus and inviting and serving and giving? And I went, yeah, probably, Jake. You're probably right about that. See, people watch us, and they're like, I'm not sure you believe what you say you believe, and I'm just going to ignore you. That's why, if that's where you are today, I mean, give us some grace. We're trying to figure out, we're trying to do better around here. But maybe you need to press through us and just go to the Gospels and see Jesus for who he is and what he really invited us to. If you're not sure about the whole believing is deceiving, and you're like, I'm not sure that's really true, let me read something to you that James, Jesus' own brother, wrote that's almost the exact same thing that Jesus said. James, this little letter that he wrote, he said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Listen, shake your head, nod, write the thing, and then don't do it, and you deceive yourselves. There's actually deception in this without application. Don't miss this. Then he goes on to say, do what it says. Don't just listen. Just, Just do what it says. And this is not so God loves you more. I mean, this is such a hard thing for us to hold on to. or Because God will love you less. That's not the point. God could not love you anymore. He could not love you any less. He loves you. But God wants something for you in his kingdom with him. And this is dangerous because when we believe but don't put into practice, we are not prepared for when the storms of life come. We've not exercised that muscle. Our faith is weak because we've not seen it used. And we experience faith by death doing. James goes on to tell this amazing illustration. You should read it when you get home. He said, it's kind of like you get up in the morning after you've lost an hour of sleep. Isn't that kind of applicable to where we are today? Or you had a really late night and you had to wake up really early in the morning and you got up and you looked in the mirror and you were a complete train wreck. And you know what I'm saying. I mean, your hair is twisted in 10 different ways and you got that pasty stuff on your cheek because you slobbered on your bed and your wife accuses you of it but you say, no, I don't slobber in my sleep. You got that whole thing going on, and you got stuff in your teeth, and you, and you literally look in the mirror at 6 o'clock in the morning when you haven't got enough sleep, and you go, oh my goodness, I am a train wreck, and you pray the kids don't come in because they might not ever look at you again. You're so frightening, right? You get that, and you pray no one ever sees you this way, and so you look in the mirror and go, I got a real problem, and then you don't do anything about it and you just come to church, not saying anybody looks that way in this way in the morning, or you just go to work, or you go to the store. You and I, we would never, ever do that. We'd never look in the mirror and go, that's atrocious, and then just go out and not do anything about how we look, because our appearance matters to us. Then James connects it to you, but sometimes you look in the mirror and you see your soul and your behavior, and you go, ooh, that's ugly, That's disturbing, that's not God-honoring, and you don't do anything about it. But you acknowledge, hey, I got a problem, but I don't do anything about it. It's a sowing and reaping thing. You gotta do, 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 and then you'll see, see, see. And it does not continge on God's love for you, but it's how you see God's faithfulness built in you. It's a trust relationship. He says this, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that gives freedom. And I need to say this, because this is really important, because we're talking about doing. We're talking about obedience, but if this life of following Jesus and doing does not bring freedom, in other words, if you feel more restricted and beat down and more like a failure, I just need you to know you're not doing this right, because it brings freedom in our lives. We'll talk about that another time. And continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing there's our word they will be blessed in what they do this is a promise when you hear and do you will be blessed and there'll be freedom and you experience god remember jesus's promise to all of us you know what the one of the promises of the scriptures are the rain will come down And the streams will rise. And the winds will beat against the houses of your lives. Yet it will not fall if you do this because it had its foundation on the rock. You are invited to live your faith out loud. And practice it where you meet God in the middle of it. And it's how faith gets strong. It's how faith moves our lives in better directions, and we can help people as opposed to hurt them. Remember the other person in this story, just to make sure we don't forget, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. I took notes, though. I said amen, I raised my hand, I sang the songs, I studied the scripture, that's all good, but I didn't do anything with it. It was easy, it was quick. I listened, I nodded, I agreed. But this is the hard part. For this person, the rain, the rain came down and the stream rose and the winds blew and they beat against the house. And you, some of you have heard this story since you were a little kid and it fell with a great crash. And here's something that's not new news to you. All of our lives will have great crashes in them. If you've not experienced a great crash, I'm telling you, you will at some point. The problem is, is we don't exercise that faith muscle and live it out when the crash comes. Listen, this is really important. When the crash comes, we blame God because we haven't built trust with him yet. We blame God because we don't understand what God is doing. And it's all God's fault. Sometimes people blame God and walk away from God. Sometimes people come to the conclusion there is no God. And it's almost always because our faith is just weak. It doesn't mean there's not really hard things. Guys, there's hard things in our world. That's never going to change as long as we're sinful in it. That's just part of the deal. But what happens if I don't prep ahead of time, I think God's absent or gone or doesn't exist. And it's because when that happens, although they believe their faith was feeble, frail, and fragile, and we're here because we don't want faith that's feeble, frail, or fragile, Fragile, unexercised faith. Faith that's not been tempered along the way. Jesus finishes this whole sermon. Look what he says. He says, Jesus had finished saying these things and the crowds were amazed. I love that word. And his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teacher of the law. This is fascinating because Jesus, you know, he didn't go through the proper rabbinical school. He didn't have all the credentials. And in the crowd, there were probably men that had those credentials. And the crowd's like, listen, Jesus is way more insightful than all these yahoos we've been listening to for years. Wouldn't you love to have been there that day to watch the religious leaders squirm in their boots? And Jesus is simply saying, listen, when our trust and obedience meets God's faithfulness, our faith grows and becomes strong. And do not let your pride, your ego, the fact that you think you know everything, get in the way, because that's where it will fall. You will hit hard bumps. But if you exercise your faith ahead of time, when you hit the hard bumps of life, you'll be able to stand on a foundation that is strong. And it's not only gonna be better for you, parents, listen to this, it's gonna be better for your children, your marriages, your individual lives, students, it's gonna be better for all parts of your lives. But if you decide to go the quick route, the cheap route, the route doesn't cost you anything, and just believe, it's kind of sandy in those, that part of the world. Because for everybody... The rains come down, and the streams rise, and the winds blew, and they beat against the house. And those houses built on sand fell with a great crash. It's coming. Maybe you're in it. Maybe the reason why you showed up today is you're in the middle of a storm, and you've discovered my faith, if I have any, feels really weak. This is a way we can strengthen it and make it stronger along the way. This is the way when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you do not have to fear evil, no matter where you see it. Now, listen, I grew up in a church that didn't necessarily make this real clear for me. But I had parents, I had a mom and a dad. My mom's still alive, my dad's passed on, he's with Jesus now. But I had parents that they lived this out My dad would say to me, Matt, we're gonna do this because God's called us to do this and we're gonna trust him. And as a kid, sometimes I didn't understand that. I watched my mom just be so strong on what she believed and then live it out. And it's kind of imprinted on my soul. And maybe you had that, maybe you had a church that didn't, that had that. Or maybe you didn't have either. Maybe you didn't have parents or a church you were a part of that taught this. And I need you to know, we are passionate At every level that little kids know this, and elementary age kids know this, and students and adults, we know this. That's why we're so passionate that every age group in our church has handles on what it means to follow Jesus. Not just theoretical things, not just deep words. Listen, I took multiple classes of hebrew and greek when i was in seminary and i thought just let me tell you a quick story i'm going to say this this morning but i'll tell you guys real quick um and i thought my main goal was to teach greek to people in you know the town we live in and people would just drift off and wander away and they couldn't keep up and i didn't know really what i was talking about because i thought that was what is important and then i discovered it's really not It's good to know all those weird languages and all that. But what's important is to be able to have practical teaching and then apply it to our lives. We're passionate here about giving you and your kids and your students handles. But here's what you need to know about when Jesus taught. When Jesus taught, it always caused tension with everybody. And the reason it caused tension with everybody is because it was so clear, it was hard not to say, well, that makes a lot of sense. And so I want to encourage you as you keep coming around, showing up online in the building and you want to argue, hopefully not with me, you want to argue with the things that Jesus says because they're too hard or they don't make sense sense in our culture or you have five reasons why that's not true. Just know everyone argued with Jesus. They argued with him to the point that one time they tried to stone him, another time they tried to throw him off a cliff. I mean, that's why I stand so far back from you all so you can't get to me too quick if you get mad at me. Somebody asked me one time, hey, Matt, what would you do if somebody rushed the stage? This was years ago, and I just simply spat it out. Well, I'd throw him back off the stage. That was my response. But now at my age, I just throw my back out, not somebody off the stage. That's the problem. But if you have a tendency to go, no, 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 I want to challenge you. Just think, how do I apply this to my life? How can I trust my heavenly father that my trust in him would meet his faithfulness? A friend of mine says this. It's a great saying. He says, unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. And probably most of you have a can of paint sitting somewhere in your house that hasn't been used. And you know, until you do something with it, it's worthless because the value is in the application. So the first thing, friends, that helps our faith grow is practical teaching that's followed by application that I hear and then I do. And we want to engage every child, every adult, every teenager in doing that in our church. And the goal, this is important, is not to be upstanding good citizens. The goal is to have audacious, bold, loving faith in our heavenly father. And here's a reward that I've discovered, and maybe you'll discover, that following Jesus will make your life better and make You better at life? And sometimes I get criticized for this statement. Nowhere are we talking about, hey, you'll have more money or life will be easier. But why wouldn't your life be better when it comes to every area of life if you follow the one that was the author of life? In other words, his ways are the best ways. And it will make your life better and you better at life. This is an action thing. This is leaning in. This is believing correctly and then doing it. It's action. And for some of you, this might mean, listen, okay, it's time to start apologizing. It's time to start confessing some sin. It's time to start forgiving. It's time to confront some stuff out of grace and truth in my life. For some of you, maybe it's to say, okay, I'm gonna finally humble myself. Maybe for you, it's to start showing up where you need to show up. I don't know. In fact, here's the deal for some of you. As I've been talking, and this is the tendency of all of us, you've thought of something that you know is a Jesus thing. It's a follow me thing. And along the way, maybe you dismissed it. Like, nah, next week, next year, doesn't make sense. They would have been too mean. They've been too whatever. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go. But you know. You're, you're a follower of Jesus. And you know. It's so clear. You know. Maybe it's a secret sin that you've been hiding. You know It's time to do something about it. And the invitation to Jesus is let's do something about it and I'll meet you in the middle of it. We were talking about an application for the end of this message. Like what what could we do to ask people to do specifically, sign up for, whatever, just to be an action point. And and this is the conclusion we came to. The, The only action point is to decide in your heart, in your mind, your soul, okay, I'm gonna hear And I'm going to do. And when I fail to do that, I'm going to ask God to forgive me. And then I'm going to start trying again with God's great help and his love for me. So here's my invitation. You want to grow your faith? Keep locking into whatever makes sense teaching-wise. Practical teaching. And then do it. Big, bold, audacious faith will grow from it. Because when your trust in your Heavenly Father connects with his faithfulness, faith grows let me pray for you heavenly father this is not an easy thing to it's not an easy thing to live out it's not an easy thing to do that's why Jesus you said this is like building your house upon the rock but help us to scratch in that rock today and for the rest of your lives with your help I pray we'd be convinced that your love is not contingent on whether we do or not that you just love us but because of your love for us you've called us to a better life in you and your kingdom Thank you for the kids next door. They're having the time of their lives. That's a good thing that they're growing in their faith too, Jesus and help us have the courage to do what we know we need to do and to learn from you what we need to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you all for being here. I'll see you next week for part three of Faithful.